praise the Lord, my Lord, the mightiest, mightiest prophets of the Lord? Well, uh, blessed people, uh, what a wonderful day here today. I know that uh, we listen to the message of sanctification today. And I wanted to come in because at one point in that recording, we had to switch off the microphone considering the time and the place we were at uh, on that Monday, Monday night. Um, in that conversation on uh, sanctification, one thing that came out very clearly is that the Lord, right from the beginning, right from the fall in the Garden of Eden, the Lord had purposed that the church, that mankind, that you that are tuned in listening to me, that mankind be completely sanctified for the glorious kingdom of God Almighty in heaven. And there is no better time in the history of the church at which to engage on the conversation at which to invoke the conversation on sanctification in Christian life than at this time. And I know that there was a big conversation that took place on that day. Most of it aired. But I wanted to pick up from the universal picture that the Lord laid down as his blueprint for creation and sanctification eventually. That... Uh, it is very clear that when you read the Bible, from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation, that the Lord has placed the redemption of man at the core, at the very center of that conversation. And you can also see that that entire spectrum from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation is actually a prophetic timeline of God. It sets out a timeline when certain events would happen set by the Lord Jehovah himself. And so within that timeline, again, as I said, from Genesis to Revelation, the agenda of redemption and sanctification of the souls of men is absolutely very clear. And within now the prophetic timeline that is defined by Genesis to Revelation. You see the different visitations and all the way until now at this moment when the Lord is announcing the glorious coming of the Messiah. And that's why I say there's no better time at which to engage on this conversation of the sanctification of the believer, of the Christian, of the person, of God's creation than at this hour when the announcement on the coming of the Messiah is indeed taking place. And we see very clearly that the book of Genesis chapter 14, even if you draw back, you move back to chapter 12, in chapter 12 you'll see that the Lord is engaging one of the main principles in the Bible, who is Abraham, and the Lord engages him in a very mighty way, and on this matter of redemption and sanctification of mankind. And so, 
if you look at the life of Abraham within this conversation of sanctification, you see that God really started quite earlier to plan on how he's going to redeem his own people after the fall and how he would sanctify them and then justify them according to Romans 5.9 in preparation for the glorious kingdom of heaven. But looking at Abraham's life, for example, in this conversation, it comes out very clearly the mission and the intent of the heart of God in redeeming and sanctifying all men that will subscribe to his redemptive plan. Abraham's life in this context then becomes totally and purely based on the promise of God. So that is where the redemptive plan to sanctify man starts, where now the Lord is engaging Abraham and the conversation with Abraham if you look at the entire life of Abraham, is really based on the promise, the promise of God, God's promise. And that promise essentially is the embodiment, it is the representation of God's plan to sanctify man, God's redemptive plan for mankind. And that is the conversation that was going on here, the word explosion that took place on Monday here, with more than 300 very, very senior uh, archbishops in attendance, the senior archbishop and the other archbishops, the deputies, senior bishops, senior overseers, senior pastors, and many other people that were privileged to come into this conversation. But I'm saying that the Lord has made it very clear within his conversation, his interaction with man, that the redemption of fallen man is at the core, at the center of the discussion, the discourse between heaven and mankind. And I said that the conversation with the way from Genesis with Abraham is, it epitomizes, it actually represents the peak of God's intent, his intention to redeem fallen man. They said, taking an example of Abraham's life, you see that his life is squarely based on God's promise. There's a promise the Lord makes. He promises him the seed of Abraham. And that promise, when you look at it very carefully, then you can see the heart of God. You can see the mind of Jehovah Elohim. That all that conversation, interaction, and contact with Abraham was strictly based on his plan, his intention that he may redeem men, and sanctify them unto himself, separate them out from the world unto himself for his glorious kingdom. And right away in the book of Genesis chapter 14, where we are beginning from tonight, verse 17, we operate in scripture, again Genesis chapter 14, 17, then you see him bring this out very, very clearly, that he intended that all people be sanctified and see the glorious kingdom of Yahweh. He says, After Abraham returned from defeating Kedalomer and the kings allied to him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. We know very well that Abraham had gone to do battle to rescue Lot. 
this king Kedolomer, he had a big territory with other smaller kings that subscribed to his power, his authority. And we know too well that there was an attack that took place. So as this king left out, Kedolomer left out to go do battle, fight the king that had attacked him. The other smaller king that had subscribed to his jurisdiction, his reign, they rebelled, they did a rebellion. So when he came back, he found a rebellion, so he turned against them. And so in the process, he did conquer the king of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the other smaller kings. And that is the reason now Lot, Lot was victim, was caught into that conquest, that attack, that hostage by Kedalomer. And that's why Abraham now prepares 318 strong men from his special forces, strong men, and attack. And that battle became the iconic battle, the symbolic battle that is laid, the spiritual battle that is laid forth within God's redemptive plan to be able to defeat the devil. That battle becomes the foretelling of this mega battle that will take place when God comes to redeem his people and sanctify them for his own glorious kingdom, for his own service. And so, and that's why you see now, when Abraham returns from that battle, then he says, verse 18, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abraham. Abraham saying, Blessed be Abraham, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. In other words, possessor of heaven and earth. In other words, he is the landlord of all that property, heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. So you see, he's making it very clear to Abraham that this battle you've done is a very symbolic battle. The Lord is involved in that battle. It is the Lord that handed your enemies over to your hands with your 318 strong men and you defeated the, the, the evil king. The evil king with his alliance. And so, this becomes a very symbolic moment in the Bible when the Lord was presenting that battle, the spiritual battle that would take place where the devil would be defeated. And you see who is standing there and pronouncing the victory. It is the sudden appearance of Melchizedek, Melchizedek the pre-incarnate Christ, and he appears there. And as he appears there, he pronounces, he blesses Abraham. He announces to Abraham that this victory you have had, Abraham, this victory you have had is essentially the victory of the Lord. It's the Lord that is involved. He has orchestrated that victory. And he says he brought bread and wine. So these are very symbolic moments in the Bible, and these were very deliberate by design, set by the Lord, in order to convey a message on his redemptive plan and his intent to sanctify his people for himself. To sanctify the church, to sanctify the Christian believer, to prepare the elect for the glorious kingdom of heaven, to separate them from the moral decay of this world. And so Abraham gave him a tenth of everything, 
and on and on that goes on the conversation that the Lord was laying in his redemptive plan for mankind. And so, we see very clearly that from that point on, even before, the life of Abraham is literally based on God's promise. And that becomes the foundation of the conversation of the sanctification that the church ought to have on this present day. And that's why I'm having this conversation with you. And I know that some parts of that conversation we had on Monday, uh, we switched off the microphones, so they were not very clear. That's why I have come to you today. Because of the place we were at, and it was running late in the night. So we switched off the microphones. But this is what the Lord was saying. He was saying that the redemption of mankind is the conversation. It dates way back. That the sanctification of the church, it dates way back to the time when the Lord was engaging Abraham in a conversation. That Abraham's entire life henceforth was strictly based on the promise of God. God's promise. The seed of Abraham's promise. For example, the book of Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, if you read from verse 1 to 4, he says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people and your family, your father's house, household, to the land I will show you. Again, the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land, the land I will show you. Then he promises right there, look at that now. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So that is very powerful. The Lord is talking to somebody who is quite advanced, is quite advanced in his age, and they have not had a baby, they have no child, and yet he's saying that he is going to bless him, and he will use him to bless all the peoples of the earth through him. So then the question would be how? And you see later, that's the question Abraham asked. How will you bless me when Eleazar here is from Damascus? Is my servant, is the one going to inherit myself. So the life of Abraham is essentially caught up in a promise, a very powerful promise from the Lord. And that is the way the Lord was introducing the conversation and the blueprint for the sanctification of the church. How he had planned to sanctify the church. To sanctify humanity after the fall. And you see, Verse 4, he says, Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And so he goes on how he took his wife and so forth to go with him. But you can see that that was now the module. It became your example of the sanctification, the separation God would intend, he would execute upon his elect, the sanctification separate, he's separating Abraham from his familiarity from his acquaintances from his family, his father's household he's sanctifying him he's separating him because he now wants to bring him to be his own he has promised him already here now 
a big promise and sanctification, separating them out Abraham to serve God for God's purpose, that he may be fit for purpose then. And he separates him out totally because some of the things he's about to tell Abraham to do, he cannot do them within his familiarity because it will be subjected to the contestation of family or familiarity and friends. And so, same thing with what the Lord is doing in the church today. His intention is to separate out the church so that he can be able to execute his mission on the church in the church without any contestation, any argument, any debate, any philosophical thinking, commentaries and what have you. People, think tanks, coming to give their views, opinion, as it is in this present age when people these days have to contest the Lord. And so, Genesis 12 sets it out very powerfully. And when you look at Genesis 14, we have read already, the blessing Melchizedek is blessing Abraham, and he's making promises that he's blessing him. That is the promise. He blesses him. And he introduces priesthood, and we're going to come to this in a bigger way. And when you look at Genesis 15, same thing, the book of Genesis chapter 15, again, God's plan to sanctify you that is tuned in. From verse 1, Genesis 15, he says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. You have a very great reward. But Abraham said, So the rain, Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Verse 3 of Genesis 15 says, And Abraham said, You have given me no children. So a servant of my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to Abraham. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and your own blood will be your hair. So you see now the promise of the, the, the life of Abraham is totally centered on the promise of God. And within that promise then you now see God's intention to sanctify men, to sanctify out the people, to redeem them and sanctify them unto himself for his glorious purposes and kingdom. You see the promise, that's why I say it, the entire conversation with Abraham really bespeaks God's intention to sanctify man, redeem him and sanctify him for his own purposes and glorious kingdom. Again, verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to Abraham, came to him, this man, the servant you talk about, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Now he promised him a son at that advantage. He took him outside and said, Look up in the sky. Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So shall people be able to count your offspring then. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So this is very powerful. He's already promising Abraham his own 
blood and flesh, meaning his own son, in all these years of barrenness, they have no child, they are barren. Now the Lord promises him a son. That's why I say the entire life of Abraham, Abraham, was actually based on God's promise. And therein, that is where God embedded his blueprint, his architecture, his design for redemption and sanctification of the church. And that's why we are holding this conversation today. Because this is the hour when every believer really, really ought to be sanctified, totally separated from the world, separated from sin unto the Lord. Separated for his purpose, to serve him, fit for the purpose for which creation took place. And then, if you read on, when you read on, it's a very beautiful story of the promise, as it says in verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord and was credited unto him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, that land of Ur, which is quite far away. It was uh, Iraq, Ur, of the Chaldeans, to give you this land, to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that this, that, that, that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them into two, in other words, half into two, and arranged the halves in opposite sides of each other. The bird, however, did not, he did not cut. The bird, however, he did not cut in half. The bird of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. They wanted scavenge. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him, thick and dreadful. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not of their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possession. Verse 15. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Verse 17 says, When the sun had set, a darkness had fallen, a smoke, a smoking fire pot, a smoke field, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces of the, the sacrifice they offered. The animals they had split into halves and put them and left the eyes. In other words, there's a pot, the flaming pot that had smoke, smoking pot with a flame, was passing in the aisle between the two halves of the animals, you see. When the sun had set, 
that darkness has fallen, darkness has fallen, a smoking torch with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, with Abraham at that time, and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates, the land of the Canaanite, the Canaanite, the Cadmonite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Raphaite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Gigashite, and the Jebusite. So then the covenant is done. The Lord instructs Abraham in this process of redeeming the church, in this foretelling of the design of God that he has set for redeeming you, the believer that is tuned in today. The Lord asks Abraham to gather these animals here for sacrifice and split them into half and leave an aisle, then a thick, dreadful cloud, and I'm very familiar with that cloud, thick, dreadful cloud, appeared and covered him. That is the Lord himself. And then the Lord spoke. And God vowed a covenant with Abraham. And then as the sun was going down, then a pot appeared, a smoking pot, a huge pot, a pot that is with huge smoke, and flame, and fire. And that pot passed in the aisle between the two halves of the animals. He had fleet for sacrifice, except for the birds. And then, at that time, the Lord now spoke with him. The Lord speaks to Abraham and vowed. He vowed that he will give the land to his descendants. And at that time, you see, the Lord is preparing the land. is preparing the land at which the sanctification of the church will take place. He is preparing the real estate. In other words, if you wish the title deed of the real estate of the Holy Land, at which the Holy Sanctification would take place of the church, that the, at which the church would be sanctified. This is all that's going on here. He has promised Abraham, and now he promises him the land. He separates him out from his familiarity. He now promises him the land, and there's some real estate, there's some prime land here, there's some mountains here, that the Lord would want to use for the process of redemption and sanctification of the church. And for those of you that are uh, the studio, make sure that this message is very clear. If there's any breakage, you just disconnect me, and then I'll be able to restart, because I will not repeat this, and this should be kept so that it can be played later and translated to. So, the Lord allows him to sacrifice those animals as a way of executing a covenant, executing a contract, that a binding contract now may exist between him and Abraham, because the Lord wants to use this real estate, this property, there are some mountains here the Lord wants to use in the process of the redemption and sanctification, the most deserved, the most 
important sanctification of the church, you that is children on this day. And Jeremiah 34, he says, Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 18, this is what he says. Jeremiah 34, 18, he says, he says, Jeremiah 34, 18, says, those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat them like they cast, they cut into two, then walk between its pieces. So that was the system the Lord set up for covenanting at that time. That is the system that the Lord used in his contract law, in his law to develop a contract between himself and mankind, that you had you had to offer the animal, split it into half, Lay the one half on this side, one half in the opposite side, and leave an aisle where the Lord would now walk. The contracting party, the covenanting party, would walk. And if you read the book of Exodus 14, Exodus chapter 14, as we begin to develop this very important conversation about the sanctification of the church, advancing the conversation, so Exodus 14, verse 24, he says the following. He says, The Egyptians pursued them, and all pharaohs, horses, and chariots, and horsemen followed them into the sea. That's verse 23. Verse 24, During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud, of the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion, meaning the flame, the flame you see in the pot, you see the smoke in the pot coming from the pot, a huge smoke, and the flame, and that pot was moving in the aisle between the two halves, the two halves of the sacrifices that uh, Abraham had split into half, and put on either side, opposite sides, and created the aisle, the passage. So that smoke that was coming from the port and the flame, that is the Lord. That is the Lord that was now executing a covenant with Abraham in terms of the land. Because Abraham asked, how will I know that this land is mine? And the Lord promised for you and your descendants, this holy land, the land where Jerusalem would be located, where Mount Moriah would be located, where the Calvary, Mount Calvary would be located. So this was God's redemptive plan. So when you look at the life of Abraham, it was really centered on the promise. The promise of the seed of Abraham, the seed, one seed, the seed of Abraham, Abraham, that would come, and through which the nations would be blessed, as we have read from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. But that blessing of the nation, the Lord essentially meant that that seed would come and sanctify the nation and change them, turn them around to become God's people, purchase them from the fall that had taken place in the Garden of Eden. So this was covenanting taking place. And you, all know, you also know the fire of Elijah. You are very familiar with the fire 
that is around the ministry of Him that speaks with you right now. The fire is essentially the presence of God. The fire that you see coming out. The burning bush. The fire of Elijah. The fire coming out of the smoking pot. So this fire that you see happening in all the meetings, coming down, wherever I go to and hold a meeting, that fire is essentially the presence of God, the consuming fire. The fire of Elijah is the consuming fire, the presence of Yahweh. So in this covenant, in, in, in order to, to give Abraham, Abraham the title deed of the real estate, of the assurance, of the real estate where he would be able later to execute his agenda for sanctifying the church, the promised land, the two mountains he wants to use here, Mount Moriah and Mount Calvary. This is how the Lord covenanted at that time. And in so doing, setting, rolling in place, beginning to roll out the redemptive and sanctification plan for mankind, for the church, you that are tuned in. And you still move on to the book of Genesis chapter 17. You still see that the entire life of Abraham, Abraham was actually centered on the promise of the seed. And in that seed, embedded in that seed, was actually the promise of the sanctification of the nation. That is the blessing through Abraham that God would be able to execute, to spread out across the face of the earth and the universe. When he said, and I'll bless the nation, and I'll bless all the peoples of the earth through you, through your offspring, the seed. So Genesis 17, 1 to 9, he says, Again, Genesis 17, 1 to 9, this is what he says here. The book of Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 to 9, he says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I'll make my covenant between me and you, and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you, my promise. For you will be the father of many nations. This is somebody who has no child yet. You will be the father of many nations. Verse 5, Genesis 17. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will not be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. He even changes his name. I'll make you very fruitful. I'll make nations of you. And kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as a lasting and everlasting covenant between me and you. You are descendants after you for generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And the whole land of Canaan, he goes on and on. Very powerfully so. Again, still emphasizing the fact that the entire life of Abraham was based on the promise. 
the promise of God, the seed of Abraham. And that is where he embedded the redemptive and sanctification design and plan for the church. The design, he said, and the plan through which the church would be sanctified, set apart for God and his glorious kingdom. The reason there's an announcement going on now, that is how the Lord set out his plan to sanctify man, to sanctify the church. And now when you go to the book of Genesis 22, then it begins to roll it out. Genesis 22, again promise. The promise, I'll read the promise first, then I'll go back to the earlier verses from verse 1. But the promise is Genesis 22, 16 and 18. 16 to 18. And this is what he says. Verse 15 he says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham, Abraham from heaven, a second time, and said to him, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as the sand, the dust of the shores. Your descendants will take possession, so on and on, of the cities of their enemy. So the entire of Abraham's life was based on the promise of God. The promise of God. So, can we then look at Genesis 22 deeper to bring out God's plan to sanctify the church? How the Lord earlier on set out to sanctify the church and the universe. He says now here, Genesis 22 from verse 1, Sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, I am here, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your one and only son, whom you love very much. His name is Isaac. And go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Genesis 22 verse 3 says, Early the next morning, look at that now, Abraham obeyed faithfully. You can imagine how sanctified his life was, that he could obey faithfully in that way. So that he separated from the world, fully, fully fit for purpose. Fit for God's use. He said, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to the servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. Then we will come back to you. So that is a very powerful prophecy that Abraham was giving. Giving his servants 
that powerful prophecy in verse 5. The Lord has told Abraham to go to that place he has shown him now, he can see the mountain, to go and sacrifice his son Isaac there, the promised son, the seed of Abraham, the one that was the promise that the blessing of the nation would flow from. Remember, he had no child. This was his one and only begotten son now. The promised son. Forget about the other one out of the mistake. I'm talking about the son of the promise. The one he is now left with. The one and only begotten son. The one of the lineage. And he tells him, go and slaughter him there. Go and sacrifice him there. Offer him there. Abraham had sacrificed before God, we just read it, when he had split the animals into halves and laid them in opposite sides and let an eye for God to pass through that the Lord may accept his sacrifice. The pot of smoke and the flame are the symbol, I have accepted the sacrifice, I have now enacted, I've established this covenant between me and you, I've installed it. As an everlasting covenant. So Abraham was very much awake to the type of sacrifice the Lord meant. That means Isaac would be split into two halves on that mountain. But he gives a prophecy here in verse 5 of Genesis 22 to the servant. Says, you stay here. While he says, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy Go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. We, we, two of them would come back. Why is Abraham promising that he would go with Isaac and sacrifice Isaac there? Why is he promising that they would still come back? That he would still come back with Isaac. We will come back. The two would come back. What is it that Abraham has seen? Why is he giving this tremendous prophecy? And this is the prophecy, the most powerful prophecy, upon which the redemption of the church, the sanctification of the church rests, is riveted, is molded, is established, is launched. The fact that he would go to the hill and sacrifice Isaac and still come back with him. This is where the promise to the judge, the redemptive plan, the, 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 the design for the sanctification of the church, the church of Christ, is based on this five. Very powerful design the Lord set out in his engagement with Abraham to be able to redeem the church, you that are tuned in, to sanctify all mankind that they may be here for the glorious eternal kingdom of Yahweh. His own. His elect. What has Abraham seen that makes Abraham now give such a prophecy to his servant? I will go with the son there I will sacrifice him 
and then I will come back with him. This guy seems to have seen a prophecy. He has seen something. And when you read all he says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the light. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke out. Isaac is going to ask a very logical question that any of you would have asked. Isaac spoke out, spoke up, and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood I see are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Verse 9, look at the prophecy that Abraham gave in verse 8. Verse 8 is a tremendous prophecy that really, really established the foundation of the sanctification of God's people, the sanctification of the church, for the glorious eternal kingdom of heaven. The reason the Lord is announcing the coming of the kingdom of heaven now is that there is a people whose sanctification was designed already in verse 8. Genesis 22 verse 8, it says, Look at this prophecy. Abraham, Abraham answered, God himself, meaning not anyone else, God himself, will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Meaning, that lamb for the burnt offering is going to be the lamb of God. God himself. Meaning, that will be the lamb, the lamb of God himself. The lamb of God. And the two of them went on together. So they still did not split. They did split. You don't hear anywhere here that uh, someone, a uh, child disappeared for somebody in the bushes for three days looking, cannot find a child. They still went together. He says, God himself, he gave a tremendous prophecy. A tremendous prophecy that sits at the core of your soul. The core of your sanctified souls. Those of you that will execute the sanctification of the Lord in your life. He says, the Lord God, Jehovah Yahweh himself, will provide the lamb of sacrifice. In other words, the lamb of God. You provide the lamb of God. God himself, his lamb. And they went on still. He said, again, but eight is a classic the most important right there. In the Bible it says, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went together. When they reached the place called, the, the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there. Can you imagine? Isaac is there, quiet. He's not throwing tantrums. Tantrum. He is not complaining. He has not sneaked out and disappeared. 
He's right there quiet. He's saying here, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Can you imagine this situation? Isaac, without saying a word, a single word, quiet, no rebellion, no marrying. Isaac has not asked a second question. He only asked one question down there. He asked, Father, the firewood I see, the life I see, the fire I see, but where is the lamb of sacrifice? The lamb for the sacrifice. And Abraham gave him the prophecy that God himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice, for burnt offering, meaning the lamb of God. Now they have arrived, and then now, he is building an altar, there is no lamb here, Isaac is still quiet, he has not complained, he has not murmured, he has not rebelled. After building the altar and arranging the wood, Isaac is quiet, without a word, without saying a word. Then he called him and tied his head, tied his leg, and placed him on the wood on top of the altar. Isaac is looking there. Isaac is not talking. He's not crying. He's not expressing terror. As any of your average children would do. He's simply looking on. The promised child the one and only beloved child, one and only beloved son, the promised son. They go on to say, again, when they reached the place, God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there, an altar, and he arranged the wood on it, and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood, verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not, do not do any Anything to him. Do not harm him. In other words, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you are not withheld from me. You are son. You are only son. So then you get to know that this was God himself speaking with him. The angel of the Lord is God himself. Verse 13 Abraham looked up, and then the thicket he saw a ram caught up by its horn. Again, remember, he looks up. He didn't say he looked sideways. He looked up. Then he sees the ram caught by its horn in the thicket. Then he says, again, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horn. 
He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son Isaac. So the process, the other versions are very elaborate. They say he then unbound Isaac. He untied the ropes from the hand and the leg, and he brought him down from the altar. From the altar, he brought him down. Now he stepped down, removed him from the altar, and went and took the ram and tied the ram and slaughtered the ram, offered the ram as a sacrifice. All this is happening at the same time. Tremendous. And he goes on to say, instead of Isaac, now he has offered the ram. Again, Abraham looked up, and then the picket he saw a ram, caught up by its horn. He went over and took the ram, and sacrificed it as a burnt offering, instead of his son. Verse 14. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Again another prophecy right there. But you see it's amazing now that as Abraham promised in the prophecy down there to the servant and to Isaac as they climbed up. He said, The Lord himself will provide the lamb, lamb, not ram, the lamb for the sacrifice. And then coming here, he offers, the Lord provides a ram, not a lamb. What is the message there, blessed people? Again, he said the Lord would provide the lamb, L-A-M-B, for sacrifice. And now as the Lord provides, thank God Jehovah provides, but he provides a ram, not a lamb. Why? We see very clearly, blessed people, how the Lord navigates this conversation on the redemption and sanctification of the church through Abraham. He says sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your only son, your son, your only son whom you love, his name is Isaac, and go to the region of the Moria and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. You can imagine that. So he comes all the way. But he offers a ram now. He told Isaac that the Lord will offer the lamb. And now the Lord offers a ram. What was the Lord saying there regarding the redemption and sanctification of the church? And the prophet in verse 8, blessed people, and he says in verse 13, that locked up, he says, 
caught up in the thicket. Abraham looked up. There in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket with those thorns there. They are now on Moriah, Mount Moriah. Why? Why did the Lord offer the ram, not the lamb? Remember the prophecy that the Lord would offer the lamb of sacrifice. The lamb of God. This is a very deep unveiling, blessed people. This is a deep thing God did. A very deep thing God did. Remember, this ram is the Lord's. It is the Lord's. This ram is the Lord's ram. And the lamb, the lamb, L-A-M-B, the lamb that the Lord offers later on Mount Calvary is the Lord. Why did the Lord offer the ram here? Because Abraham promised that the Lord, Jehovah, he would offer the Lamb of God. God himself would offer the Lamb, the Lamb of God. Blessed people, this was a far prophecy the Lord was giving on Christ the Messiah, the sanctifier, the redeemer and sanctifier of the church. If the Lord had offered a lamb here, the lamb, the prophecy would have been finished right here on Moria, on this day. But the Lord now offers the ram with one and the same as the lamb that would be offered later on the Calvary. Except that now, this ram is pre-incarnate. This is now what symbolized the contact Abraham had now with Melchizedek. The same. Except that the same now comes after incarnation, the announcement by Gabriel, Bethlehem, and then makes his way all the way to the Calvary, Mount Calvary. This is now what symbolized the first contact. This is the reason, the reason Melchizedek appeared with a new covenant, bread and wine, with the body and blood. In other words, when Melchizedek appeared, pre-incarnate Christ, he already said to Abraham, look, my horns are locked up already. I'm entangled with a ticket, the tones of the ticket. My blood has been poured already. From the shame of the foundation of the earth. I am already entangled and caught up. I cannot escape. I'm carrying the bread, broken body, and the, the wine, the 
the sin of men, the curse of men, the law of judgment of God has caused me already, caught up with me, locks me up. John chapter 3, the Lamb and the Lamb. John 3.16, the Lamb of God. Why the Lamb? When Abraham said in his prophecy, the Lord will offer the Lamb. This is powerful. Abraham had already seen a prophecy. He had seen a vision of the Messiah crucified on Mount Calvary. That's why, with confidence, he could tell the workers, the servants, look, you wait here while I and the boy, we climb up this mountain, we go over there and worship. And then we, we, not I, we will be back. Meaning, I will come back with Isaac. Abraham had already seen the crucifixion of the Messiah, the Lamb of God. He had already seen the crucifixion, the death of the Messiah, and the resurrection of the Messiah. Resurrection of the Messiah. And that's why when you go to Hebrews 11, it says, He was aware of the power of Jehovah in resurrecting. But there are some very powerful lessons. This is a very long sermon here tonight. But there are very powerful lessons here that we would want to go through. Because, you see that Isaac, carries the wood up the mountain. And when the Messiah eventually comes, he's simulating foretelling. When the Messiah comes, he carries the wood up Mount Calvary also. Isaac carries the wood up the mountain. And when the Messiah comes, he also carries the wood, the cross, up the mountain. There are some obvious truths here you cannot avoid. Isaac obeys his father one billion, one trillion, one billion percent. Does not argue, does not refuse to go and be offered. The Messiah obeys God the Father fully. And agrees to be offered. Isaac does not contest the death sentence. He has been condemned to death, sentenced to death. Then he's simply quiet. He does not even try to escape. He obeys his father Abraham to the finish. And the Messiah also obeys God the Father to the finish. There are some similarities here. You cannot avoid some statements here. Amazing. And Isaac here, Isaac in this case, in this prophecy here, that Abraham is executing 
you see, he has been untied. That is you. John James listening to me. He has been untied. Untied and removed from the wood on top of the altar. A substitutionary death. There is a substitute death now going to take place. That represents you. God's plan for redemption and sanctification of the church. It is you supposed to be lying there to be slaughtered into harm. You pray for your sin. The law of judgment of God. The wages of sin being dead. But now, only the prophecy Abraham is giving here. He's saying, God himself will provide the lamb. And in that prophecy, a lamb has been provided. Isaac is untied and removed, downloaded from the altar, if you will. That is you being removed from the altar that the price you would have paid. Now there is a substitute called the Messiah at that time to come yet. But now he has come already. He has died on the cross already. But Abraham, at that time, was seeing what would happen. Isaac was saved by a substitutionary death. A substitute death. Substitute. The same way you, the church, listening to me, you have been sanctified, redeemed, and sanctified, saved. Saved from death. By this substitute death, Christ Jesus, the Messiah on the cross, the Lamb of God, when the time now came. I remember when the Lord brought me into heaven, and he, he announced, he made a path, he made a path with his lights, I've preached this across the whole earth, a path, and one was seated on the chair, then he said, Behold Melchizedek. Behold Melchizedek. Now I remember when I walked towards him, his garment is different. He had stripes too on the garment. When I walked towards him after the father announced, Behold Melchizedek, seated on the seat, a huge seat, very powerful. Then he told me to tell the people, and then there was one person here, he was drinking and everything. To tell them to come to him. And there was a path with the light. The glory of God was shining the path. So I told this person, please. The Lord says, go to him. And he told me to tell and he said, this man said, but look, I'm holding a bottle of alcohol. And the Lord said, tell him to come as he is. And I told him, the Lord says, go as you are. And I remember when this man began to walk was the path that was shown by light, then the bottle dropped. And then he went all the way towards the Lord, towards Melchizedek. In other words, the church, the nations, tell them to come as they are. I will redeem them. All that matters to be willing, that they be willing, their hearts be willing. Isaac was saved by substitutionary death. And you now see on this mountain, Isaac does 
not say a word. The Lord Jesus also does not say a word to the Father. He agrees. He does not, in other words, does not rebel. He does not rebel. In this conversation, one and only begotten beloved son, Abraham's beloved son. Look at this prophecy and the design of your redemption and sanctification. One and only son, beloved. His name is Isaac. The father's son. Look at what happened on Mount Calvary. One and only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. His name is Christ Jesus, the son of the most high. Isaac carries the wood up the hill. The Lord Jesus carries the wood up the hill. Jesus was offered on the altar of the wood, the cross. Hebrews chapter 11. The book of Hebrews chapter 11, blessed people. Hebrews 11 verses 17 to 19. It says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Amazing. Verse 18, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac, that your offspring will be reckoned and blessed. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in the manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So it is so powerful. This is Roman. This was the prophecy of Romans chapter 6. We say, all of you that have received the Lord and have been baptized in his death, you have also resurrected with him. This is what gives the basis now. For the spiritual death, for those that are baptized with him, and now they rise up with him. The Jewish people always believed that Isaac died when God resurrected Isaac. They are simply not understanding that this was a spiritual death now because there's a substitute death, a substitution. He received him from death. Amazing blessed people. Romans chapter 6, the book of Romans chapter 6 verse 1. Romans chapter 6 he says, 1 and you can read on blessed people, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that the grace may increase? By no means. 
We are those who have, been, who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus, we are baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through the baptism of his death, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised and resurrected from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may receive a new life resurrected from that death. The removal of Isaac from that wood. Isaac representing you, what Christ would do. How Christ the Messiah, the Lamb of God, John chapter 1 verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. When he arrived, the one and only begotten Son that Abraham had, and when you come to Christ the Messiah, the same here. One and only begotten Son. The book of Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Mark chapter 1, verse 9, blessed people. Mark chapter 1. I'm reading from verse 9 to 11. He says the following. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. In this case also, the one and only begotten beloved son. Abraham was doing a prophecy, a mega prophecy with Isaac. His one and only begotten beloved son. Even on the mountain of transfiguration, the Lord did the same. He said, this is my one and only beloved son, whom I love. Listen to him. God was simply showing Abraham and you what he had done in his plan, in his design to redeem the church. The one and only son. The Lord was saying that faith, now faith, the kind of faith Abraham beheld, would be perfected for the kingdom of heaven, through sacrifice, through death, through resurrection. But now you too can offer your bodies now as the holy sacrifice unto the Lord. That you may die to flesh, die to sin, and now resurrect. There is a substitute death already. The Messiah has already died and resurrected and he is coming back. But he's asking that you too now may be sanctified. Set apart from sin. Made holy and righteous. Because he has already announced 
the day of the coming of the Messiah, in terms of Melchizedek, he has said, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of life. The realm of God, Abraham is on Mount Moriah, Isaac is here. The realm, realm of God, lost with his own, the realm of God has been offered, presented. Exodus 26, the book of Exodus 26, verse 14, look at this now. Exodus 26, 14, he says, he says the following, Make for the tent a covering of round skins dyed red, and over that a covering of other durable leather. But it was the skin of the ram to cover the tent, dyed red, to symbolize the covering with blood. The blood of the Lamb of God. That will come and die on Mount Calvary. But here also the ram. Use the ram. Genesis 3.21 he slaughtered an animal and covered the ram to cover their nudity. The ram representing the righteous king who would come and lead his people away from death into immortality. Immortality. John 17 Verse 4. Why did the Lord present the ram on Moriah when Abraham advanced, advanced the mountain and set up an altar? John 17, 4 to 6, he says the following. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Melchizedek appears pre-incarnate. And then now the Lamb comes, is processed through on Mount Calvary. He sheds the glory. And when he finishes the job, the work, he says, take me back to the original glory I had with you. To the pre-incarnate stage. Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. The book of Proverbs chapter 8. Verse 23, chapter 8, 23, says the following. It says, I was formed long ages ago, 
at the very beginning when the world came to be. He said in John chapter 8, 58, he said, Before Abraham was, I am. In the same John, chapter 8, 56, he says, Your father Abraham was so glad and happy when he saw my day, he was glad. All the generation of believers and Christians that would now come to believe and be the stars that was given to him as a promise. They were still locked in to Isaac at this place. So when Isaac is removed from the altar and a substitute death executed, it was you. It was foretelling that the Messiah would die for you. Romans 8. The book of Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, he says the following. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously, Give us all things. Against the part I'm pulling from there, everything else stands. That he gave, he did not spare his son. His plan for the sanctification of the church. So how dare you? How can you forget about the blood? How can you talk outside the cross and the blood when talking about redemption? When talk about salvation and the sanctification of the current church, that she may see eternity, she may be sanctified. Without sanctification, nobody enters heaven. Sanctification is the being set apart from sin. Being set apart, separated from the world from sin, from moral decay. The realm represents the most the great, the strength, the original glory. That's why I asked, can you put me back to the original glory I had with you? But now he has added glory. Because when he raptured, he went with the cloud. And in Psalm 24, they asked, who is this king of glory who has stormed here? Now he's known by the victories of the battles he has executed, the Messiah. He is your sanctifier. He is the one that sanctifies you. Right from the conversation with Abraham, the, he was the foretelling of his coming to sanctify you through his death. And so, when Abraham did that in Genesis 22, and the promise was being given, and said, like the stars in the sky. He was simply talking about those descendants of Abraham, you believers, that by faith now, the father of faith, it would be sanctified, set away from sin, set apart from sin, holy and righteous, 
away in Gethsemane. There's great suffering and death and humiliation and blackmail that you would suffer. Blackmail. That's why blackmailers will never enter heaven. Anybody that blackmails the Lord and his two brothers that have come to prepare his way, they are equivalent to those that blackmail him on the cross. They will never enter. That is an obvious fact. Even a child knows. The bread and wine. The horns are locked. And when you read the book of John 17, John chapter 17, the ram versus the lamb. John 17, he says this. John 17, he says, He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And no Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He says, I am the Melchizedek. I am the Melchizedek, you saw.
Shalom to Darabha. 